0: How many of you, by a show of hands, sorry, that's a little bit loud, um, read the book of, or the epistle of Ephesians this week as a church? If you didn't, oh my gosh, you missed some amazing stuff. This, is, this was such good stuff. Listen, I love, I love all the Bible. I really do. But the prison epistles are probably my favorite. The prison epistles, they are Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and then the book of Philemon. These were all written by Paul later on in his ministry while he's in prison. Okay? So, he's a little bit more intense on what the church needs to know, needs to do. Because he never knows when his time is up. Which is... A little bit interesting because that's sort of some of the the gripping that I'm doing, I'm feeling, for the church that I've pastored for a long time. And I love you guys, and so I want more for you sometimes than you want for yourself. All right. So, in this letter this week, Ephesians had a lot to say about love. Did you notice that? The love of the Father, the love of Jesus, the love Paul had for the people of Ephesus, and the love the church was to have for each other. So we probably need to have a good definition of love before we begin. So I thought that we would get a few definitions of love from some four to eight-year-olds. Okay, sounds good? Rebecca, age eight. When my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. That's love. Billy, age four. When someone loves you, the way they say your name is different. You just know that your name is safe in their mouth. Carl, age five. Love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on shaving cologne and they go out and smell each other. (laughs) Terry, age four, love is what makes you smile when you're tired. Danny, age eight, love is when my mommy makes coffee for my daddy and she takes a sip before giving it to him to make sure the taste is okay. Noel, age seven, love is when you tell a guy you like his shirt, and then he wears it every day. <laughs> Tommy, age six, love is like the little old woman and little old man who are still friends even after they know each other so well. <laughs> Barb. Chris, age seven, love is when mommy sees daddy smelly and sweaty and still says he is handsomer than Robert Redford. Anne, age four, love is when your puppy licks your face, even after you've left him alone all day. Lauren, age four, I know my older sister loves me because she gives me all of her old clothes and has to go out and buy new ones. (laughs) And the last one, four-year-old child whose next-door neighbor was an elderly gentleman who had recently lost his wife. Upon seeing the man cry, the little boy went to the old gentleman's yard, climbed onto his lap, and just sat there. When his mother asked him what he, what he had said to the neighbor, the little boy said, nothing. I just helped him cry. Man, now that's love, right? So, you all, many of you, read the letter of Paul writing to the Ephesians. We see the Ephesians in Acts we see the church that is founded in Ephesus. Okay? This church was founded by Paul in his second missionary journey. And when he left, he left two people there to start the church. and Priscilla and Aquila. And then when he came back in his third missionary journey, he stayed with them and he was their pastor for three years. Okay? So he knew them intimately. In fact... He got ran out of town because he was being so effective with the church there. People that were into getting the Art, the temple of Artemis. People quit going there. Quit buying the trinkets. And the people who were the, the, the group there were up in arms because this was cutting into their livelihood. And Paul had to leave because of that. And so later on, Paul is in prison, and so he writes this letter to the Ephesian church. I cannot be here, up here, in my last two sermons without a map. So let's look at a map. Okay. There we go. All right, so. If you if you this is the Mediterranean Sea, this is where Jerusalem is. Antioch, this is where Paul and Barnabas is sent out the first time they lay hands on him, and he goes, and they do the first missionary journey. Then Paul and Barnabas split, and then Paul goes through here, ends up in Ephesus, comes back, he goes, visits Philippi and Corinth and Athens. Now the reason why this map is up here is because it, just to get the lay of the land. Ephesus here—it's not on the coast. It looks like it is, but it's not. It's close. Ephesus is the capital. The Romans have provinces in here. This is the province of Asia, right here. And you're like, Asia is much bigger. I know, but in, for the Romans, this is Asia. And the capital city for Rome is Ephesus. So it's a big city. It is known as one of the... The Temple of Artemis, or Diana, was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Okay? It was a big deal. And it is a, it is a big place to hear it. Now, next week, Paul will uh, will write to the Philippians from prison. And so, we'll get them... Next week, and then the following week, we are going to be in this little, well, there's not a really, you can't, I don't have a little dot here. But right, about right there is where Colossae is. And they're very close to Laodicea. Ephesians is one of the only churches we talk about that we see in Revelation. In Ephesus. Remember the designation in Ephesus and Revelation? You have forgot your first love. Paul warned him about that. In this letter. Okay? And then Colossae is not in Revelation, but the church right next to it, Laodicea, is. And so, um, this is, we've already covered the the Corinthians, and the Galatians, this area right here, is an area rather than a town, though there could be one. And so, these are where... This is where Paul is writing these letters to, these churches that he founded in his first, second, and third missionary journey. Sound good? All
1: right. If you look at the letter of Ephesus that, that or to the church
0: in Ephesus, the Ephesians, it's a very Pauline letter, okay? Mainly what Paul does is when he writes a letter, he will Lay down the framework of the theological, spiritual aspect with which a Christian should recognize. He talks about God. He talks about Jesus. He talks about the Holy Spirit. And then usually toward the end of his letters, he says, what does that look like with your feet on the ground? What does that look like in real life? All right? And the Ephesians are just like that. The first three chapters of this letter, Paul lays the framework about what God has done for you, what Jesus has done, and how you are empowered by the Holy Spirit to accomplish some things. So the natural reaction after about chapter 3 is, well, what are those things? And then Paul starts chapter 4 with a very Pauline statement. He says, therefore. Meaning, everything that I just told you about God, about Jesus, about the powering of the Holy Spirit, you should then do this. All right? So, this is kind of an overview. We are going to read Ephesians chapter 4. But, so you you can turn to there if you want. But I just want to do a brief interview of what Paul says about God. In review, he says this. To the church, okay, to the believers... This is written to believers. You are a believer, hopefully. And same is true for you. Number one, in chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, it says you're chosen by God. Number two, he says you've been redeemed by Jesus. What Jesus did on the cross about going to the cross and dying and being the sacrificial lamb, you have been redeemed from life Of eternal damnation to a life with God. You've been redeemed. Number three, you have an inheritance in Christ. Okay? Number four, you have resources
1: in Christ. You know what Jesus said in the upper room? It's better that I go because the Holy Spirit's going to come. Okay? Number
0: five, You have a new life in Christ. That's chapter 2. Remember, at the end of chapter 2 and almost all of chapter 3, Paul talks about unity in Christ. Paul has been around a while. He knows that people have a tendency to
1: divide. And faction. And be stupid. And he's telling them, you
0: need to unify. One of the things that Jesus said again in the upper room is, your love that you have from one another will be the trademark by which people will know that you are my follower. Unity in Christ. I mean, he beats the dead with that. Be in unity. He talks about you have one God. You have one son. You have one spirit. You have all of these ones that you all share. Did you hear Sam today when he was talking about running to some other believers? Didn't go to heights. And yet he associated with them? Oh, why? Because they were fellow believers in Jesus Christ. And there was a unity there. That is one of the areas where we need to get better at. What, you go to Legacy? Oh, that cult? Or, you know, you go to Calvary? Oh, my gosh. Hey, we need to say, you know what? We're we're fellow heirs and believers in Jesus Christ. How's it going? Shake your hand. What's going on? Right? That's what Paul would do. In the unity in Christ. And then, chapter 4 then begins. With a list of things life in the church should look like. So the title of the sermon today is, What Should the Church Do? Here's the list. Now, it's not all-encompassing. It's my own personal view of what I looked at and what we need to be worried about. But before I give you that list, let me give you the original reading. Of Ephesians chapter four, and I'm going to start off. I'm going to be reading New uh, New International Version, but verse one is in New King James. Why? Because sometimes I get really frustrated with the NIV. They try to make it as a little bit. They don't like beseech and therefore and malice and these great words that we have have lost, and so. Verse 1 in the New King James says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. That's just for me, thank you. Alright, let's read to the NIV. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the co- calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been Given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says. When he ascended on high. He took many captives. And gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean. Except that he also descended. To the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one. Who ascended higher than all the heavens. In order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself. Gave the apostles. The prophets. The evangelists. The pastors. And teachers Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. That is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life. To put off your old self. Which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. To be made new in the attitude of your hinds. And to put on the new self. Created to be like God. In true righteousness and holiness. Therefore each of you must put off falsehood. And speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. But work, but must work, doing something useful with their hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths
1: Okay, what a list. Huh? Where do we begin? Right? Okay, so remember,
0: Paul has laid down the foundation. He's laid down a foundation of what God has done, what Jesus has done, and the Holy Spirit's
1: power in your life. He's laid down that foundation. This is not something that you receive because you do the list. Okay? Oh, you're trying to earn your, your way into
0: heaven. I cannot earn my way into heaven. Paul's very clear with this. But if you are accepting of Jesus because of what God has done, your
1: life will reflect that choice. If you say that you
0: accept God, if you accept Jesus as your personal Savior, as you say you have the Holy Spirit living in you, you will have fruits of that happening. And that is why Paul writes the list here. It's not for me to hold this list up and look at you and say, "Uh Uh-huh. That one's okay. That no. No. It's for you to analyze yourself. Paul is directly talking to the body of Christ in Ephesus and saying, what you got? And if it's not, then you need to be changed, shaped. His word is mature. Well, how do I get mature? Well, let's look at these lists. Number one, live a life worthy of your calling as a believer. Meaning just being a believer is not something that you should take for granted. If you have accepted Jesus Christ, he says you have been predestined. God chose you. And if God chose you, then you need to make sure that you know that you have a destiny in Christ. And that life that you have,
1: what's left of it on this earth, needs to be worthy. You all have a purpose. Remember what John said last week? If you're, not de- if you're not dead, you're not done. And I mean that. And he meant that. As long as you have breath, you've got something to do. And generally speaking, it's to give God a good name.
0: Number two, be humble, gentle, and patient.
1: That hits me right between the eyes. I am not humble. I am not gentle. And I'm not patient. But I need to be. Be humble or God will humble you. It says this in James. (laughs) God opposes
0: the proud but gives grace to the humble. So be humble. Doesn't mean to think less of yourself, it just says think less of yourself. Okay? Think of others. Put yourself other places it says esteem others. More important yourself. Okay? We need to be humble. We need to be gentle. My wife has a nickname for me. She says, I am a bull in a china shop.
1: I'm loud, I'm brash, I knock things over. I need to learn to be gentle. And care about other people's feelings. And I need to be patient. You know? You've heard the the
0: man did the prayer. I want patience and I want it right now! (laughs) We've we've got to be patient. We've got to wait on the Lord. Let the God's timing work for you. Okay? Sometimes... The waiting is the hardest part, but it's the waiting is the best part. Number three, keep unified through the Holy Spirit. Satan, our enemy, will do everything he can to divide things, divide people, divide marriages, divide families, divide nations. That's what he does. He is the great divider. And if he can do it, he will do it. You need to resist that. You need to be like magnets. One north, one south. Right stuck together. Insist upon it. Use the grace that God has given you. Paul says it this way. Everyone has different measures of grace. Man, if you're good at grace, use it. Be graceful. Be compassionate. Be kind. Sometimes that's a good way to show other people the same way. Maybe you're not very graceful. Work on it. You have some grace. There's some apportion to you. Work on it. Get better at it. Number five, use your role in Christ to build up the body. Did you hear what Paul said? Paul said, there are all kinds of positions within the church that are geared for things. Okay? We have evangelists. We have pastors. We have teachers. We have apostles. We have all of these different roles, assignment, that that God has put together for what?
1: To build up the body. Those of us that come up here, Jeremy, John, myself, any of the elders
0: that come up and preach, we are trying to build
1: you up. Do the work that Christ has for you. In the CEO model of the last 200
0: years, the pastor is the one who does everything. He's the one that does everything. Well, well, the pastor needs to be at every function and everything. No. We're supposed to build up the body. That is our goal, to build up, to equip people for works of service. Not just works of service. Ones
1: that have been established for you to do since the beginning of time. May I tell you, live that life worthy of what God, the destiny, the good works
0: that God has for you. And let your leaders help build you up to do that. Why?
1: Grow in maturity. And so you won't be deceived. If you're not growing
0: in your faith, if you're stuck at a plateau, and we all get there, even me, even Jeremy. I know, Jeremy's like way up there, but no, he does too. He hits plateaus. And when he does, it means acts of service are one of those things that gets you jazzed up and starting to grow better. God will allow things in your life that will make you have to serve and be humble so that he can take you to the next level of maturity.
1: Maturity, does that sound scary to you? We all talk about, well, I want to I want to I want to know more. I want to I
0: want to grow in the do you? Because oftentimes that maturity looks like serving others. Leading others.
1: Mentoring others. Oh, I don't think I could do that. Well then, that's the next
0: step. Let me tell you, if something in your life about God is, I don't want to do it because it scares me, that's the right place to be. That's the absolute right place to be. I have a young man that um, I known for years, and he's, uh, I think,
1: is like a third son. We were talking a couple weeks ago, I found a girl. And I asked
0: her out. I go, were you scared? He goes, yeah. I said, great. That's perfect. She doesn't scare you. She's not worthy of you. Can I tell you the first time someone told me that Barbara Wild, Barbara Wild Scales, um, told me that she told me that she liked me. I went, no stinking way.
1: She is way above my level, and that was a good thing. In the same
0: way, if some, this, doing the next step that you, I'm pretty sure most of you know the next step that you're supposed to take in your face, and you're a little nervous, a little scared. Perfect. Because that means you have to operate with
1: dependence on God. Number six, speak the truth in love. He does not say speak the truth alone. He says in love. You've, You've heard those people say, well, I'm just telling the truth. If there's not love involved, no one wants to hear you. Honestly, be built up in love. Number eight, don't live like the
0: world. He said, don't live like the Gentiles. But the separated, he was talking about the world—the way
1: people who don't believe in God and Jesus because they get skewed up.
0: And they get misguided because God is not their foundation, Jesus is not their framework. And they do strange things. We have people throwing rocks at churches. You know why? Because we want to we think that all life is precious. How dare you? I should have the right to kill a baby. Wait, what? That's wackadoo. How's anybody can stand on that? So don't live like the world. Be like God, he says, in righteousness and holiness. Wait, be like God? Yeah,
1: do your best. If God's living inside you, he'll help you. Number 10, don't lie. Don't lie. Can I tell you the biggest thing that's going on in our world today is
0: we have a bunch of liars. If you... Can speak truth in love, you will be different than the world, and people will be able to trust you because what you say is true.
1: Don't sin in your anger. You can get angry, but just don't sin in your anger. Okay? And don't let the anger stay around.
0: Because if the anger stays around, Paul's pretty clear he says, you'll. Satan can develop a foothold. Do you know what that's called? Resentment. Stop. Stop with hanging on to
1: anger. Well, if I if I if I don't hang on to my anger, then they could do it to me again. Big stinking deal. Don't steal. The idea of personal property is lost
0: in our society
1: today. If it's not nailed down, well, it could be mine. People need to be able to trust you in your words and trust you in their house. Paul says, work hard so you can be generous. Have you ever thought about it?
0: Do you, do you work hard? Do you get up and go to work? Because then you can give money to other people? <laughs> Isn't that a new concept? Oh, i got to get up because i got to pay bills. Okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But Paul has this idea that you work so that you can have extra, so that you can help others be, and be generous. Going back to my sermon on, on, on giving... Man, the more you give, the more you get. Can I tell you that? It just happens. I can't explain it. Call it supernatural oogly-boogly. But it happens. And
1: everybody I talk to is generous have more than enough. Fifteen, watch your mouth. Paul says it this way, don't let me unwholesome talker.
0: Just watch your mouth. Out of your mouth comes where your heart is. That's what Jesus says. Make sure that your speech is edifying. Not tearing down. That it, you are someone who doesn't have four-letter words flying out of your mouth. Now, there are times I catch myself on that, but that's getting less and less and less the more mature in faith I get. It's called sanctification. Sanctification. So, if you are driving down the road, someone cuts you off, and you say something, that's some place to address your sanctification. You're supposed to build others up and not tear them down. Don't grieve the Spirit. What does that mean by grieving the Spirit? Listen, if the Holy Spirit is telling you to do something, and you are not doing it, you're grieving the Spirit. We need to start listening for the Spirit. Listening for Jesus' voice to tell us it kind of
1: sounds like the Bible. Actually, it always sounds like the Bible. You need to do what it says. The more you listen,
0: the better you will hear. This is one of the reasons why all of us up here have been telling you read your Bible. Read your Bible. Because the more you read your Bible the more you will
1: recognize the spirit or jesus speaking to you 17 lose bitterness rage anger brawling slander and every form
0: of malice Can i just say i love that word malice been been reading a lot of history on abraham lincoln lately i've been kind of going crazy with that one of the greatest speeches that Abraham Lincoln ever gave was his second um, when he was made president. Just forgot the word. What is that word? Thank you. Yes. But he says, have malice toward none. So this week, You need to use the word malice sometime in what you say to something. And I don't know what malice means.
1: Malice means this: the intention or desire to do evil. Your coworkers giving you some grief. You go, I don't think you should be giving me such malice. They'd be like, What? (laughs) Yeah. Or you
0: here's extra credit. Use the word beseech. Yeah, they'll be like, whoa, what are you doing? All right. Number 18. So you need to lose bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, and every kind of malice. You need to gain kindness, compassion, and forgiving one another. The biggest thing that will get someone's attention about you as a believer in Jesus Christ is if you will forgive. The world doesn't understand forgiveness. They understand vengeance and wrath and resentment if you can forgive and a very disarming way of living, and you don't forgive because you're such a great guy. you forgive because God forgave you that's what paul says so finally in in uh conclusion here, Paul ends his letter. By talking about the armor of God, We've, we we all sort of know about the armor of God. It says, "Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places." Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And then he goes on and talks about the different things you need to do to cover yourself with the armor and have a shield and a sword. Okay. What I want to tell you is what Paul is saying is that you are in a battle. Whether you know it or not, you're in a battle, and you need to be prepared for battle. Okay, not many of us have had to go and, and, and fight and be part of a hoplite group like the Romans or anything over here. So, let me, let me give you some sports metaphors. I'll start with football and end with baseball, because baseball is the best. All right, anyway. Okay, so when, when guys go ready to play football... They don't just walk out on the field with nothing. Just a regular clothes. Hey, let's, let's throw the ball. Let's run around. No, 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 no. They put on a helmet. They put on shoulder pads. You know all about that. In the middle of summer, you get all that stuff on. You're like, I'm burning up. But you get all the pads on everything. Why? Because you know that there's going to be some contact. And you need to protect vital parts of your body. One of the things that Barb and I have been doing is we've been going. Our goal is to visit every major league ball field, and so this last year we went and did three this this last month, and we went to went to Kansas City, went to Chicago, and we went to St. Louis, and we visited some things. But we would go early, and the guys aren't just sitting in the dugout waiting for the umpire to say play ball. They're out running all over the place. They're stretching. They're swinging the bat. They take batting practice. Because they need to be prepared for the game. And in the same way, you need to know that you have an enemy. It's not your neighbor.
1: It's not the guy in office. It's the devil and his minions. And he wants to do battle against you
0: because you are on the other side. You're on the other team. You're on the Jesus team. And he's going to do everything he can contact mentally whatever to trip you up and to make you give God a bad name or to for you to do something destructive. You need to be up and you need to be ready. You need to be prepared. That means every day. That means you need to have the me in the word of God. You need to be around other believers who will speak truth to your life. You need to love. You need to forgive. You need to be able to do the things that God has called you to do as a follower of Jesus Christ so that you will be prepared for the battle. Because the battle is coming to you whether you want it to or not. That is what Paul is saying here. And he's saying at the end, <coughs> If you choose to not be in the battle, that is a choice. But that is not what a believer does. Simple as that. Be prepared for battle. It has not been, it been escaped on me as we've been doing the book of Ephesians. That we see Paul on his final journey when he's going to Jerusalem to deliver all the money to help the Jerusalem church. That he stops on his way back to talk to the elders of Ephesus, except he doesn't go to Ephesians, he doesn't go to Ephesus, he goes down to the coast, and they meet him in a town called Miletus. It's in Acts chapter 20. And as they come together, many of them are aware that they will never see Paul again.
1: And they're both brokenhearted about it. I feel a little like that. Not yet. August 14th. I hope to see you all again. Lord willing. But if I don't see you here, I want to see you there. Right? This book of Ephesians, if
0: you can look at it, if you can use those 18 things to pursue because this life that we're living right now is just the template with which we need to perfect our way of living so that we can live the life for eternity.
1: If we're working, if we're practicing, if we're trying, maturing, and we're getting sanctified,
0: can you imagine what it, the time that we will spend together in eternity? Seriously, we'll have, oh, we're going to have the Dickmans over. They're just going to stay for a short time, about 10,000 years. <laughs> Seriously. Time will be nothing. And we will look back at this life, we'll go, <laughs> oh, we thought we were having a tough time. This is hilarious. It was just a short, 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 short amount of time. Because we have eternity. And we have God. And we have Every tribe and every nation together, serving the Lord together. That is what Paul sees and what he applies to the Ephesians. Isn't that a great book? Isn't that a great letter? We should read it again. Oh, we'll do it later. Because this week, you gotta do, you got to read about the Philippians. And, and I wanted to do the sermon on the Philippians. I don't know why God changed that because, man, that's my favorite book Jeremy, no pressure, but that book is about rejoicing. So you need to be some rejoicing up here. Well, I just called them out in the middle of it. All right, sorry. Stand up, everyone. What time is it? Oh, my gosh, it's 12.15. I went a little long. What are you going to do, fire me? (laughs) Oh, Sorry. Let me pray over you. (laughs) Well, wow, that's a great answer. <laughs> Dear Lord in heaven, thank you for who you are, what you mean to us. Help us, Lord, to give your name a good name in everything we do. Help us, help with the knowledge that we have of your magnificence, your supernatural involvement in this world. Change us to be people of the book, people of truth, people of compassion, people of forgiveness. Help us to be different from the world so that we can be that attractiveness that will draw other men and women to you. Help us, Lord. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.